I, I want to begin. We're talking about the spiritually bankrupt life, and I've been talking about, you know, or beginning a conversation about, you know, seven conditions to look out for. And so I, I believe, you know, maybe one will resonate, one message might resonate with one person, another one with another, and so forth. And I understand that as far as life application. But I believe there's reason to hear today, reason to listen. Because I really have come anticipating that God wants to do something in our hearts. And, and God specifically, he wants to do something in my heart. And so I, I'm really listening. And, and one of the questions I want to begin with, and bear with me now, one of the questions is, what does the, the passionless Christian life look like? Did you catch that? What does the passionless Christian life look like? I mean, what's it look like, you know, to live a spiritual, a Christian life without passion? Last week we talked about the drain condition, and we, we recognize, you know, that in this journey, this spiritual journey or race that we're on, that's what we were talking about, that it was like this race, and that as racers and runners, that sometimes we hit this heartbreak, you know, hill, and it's into life. I mean, 17 miles in, actually, we hit heartbreak hill, and there are emotions, and there are barriers, and these walls that we approach, these these difficult things that we have to overcome in life. And we need to plan for them. We need to strategize, and we need to look ahead, because the good runner studies fatigue remember and the good runner is looking ahead and he's trying to make a plan and you know you of course remember the apostle paul is talking about you know running the race you know as champions and whether you're male or female young or old we recognize that fatigue is going to come and challenges are going to be there and so that runner will not quit right the runner will not quit and they will you know think about the future the plan ahead i i did i was terrible at this i want to say this to our, our young people i was terrible at planning ahead by the way when i was in high school i started driving when i was 15 idaho you can get your license at 15 and i I started this terrible habit. In fact, I continued into college. It's kind of embarrassing, John. But I, I drove on an empty tank all the time. <laughs> Anybody ever have that? Some of you drivers, long-term drivers, you ever do? So I had this habit. I'd drive around on an empty tank. And it wasn't that I was broke as a college student, but it wasn't because I was flat broke. I just didn't want to be bothered. I didn't want to have to stop. And so I'd run around on empty all the time. And my family and my my, my friends would get in the car and they'd yell at me, hey, your tank, you're about ready to run. No, I got plenty of gas. I got a gallon or two in there. And they didn't want to, you know, they were concerned I had some kind of pithy comeback. But, you know, we do that spiritually sometimes. I, I think spiritually we're running on half a tank or we're running on practically an empty tank. And we, we, we justify it and we think everything's okay. And, and, you know, in spite of the fact that our needle, listen, our spiritual needle is screaming at us, you're almost out of gas. You're, you're almost out of, you know, energy. And, and you're wondering why that, that energy that you once had for Jesus and that passion that you once had for serving the Lord is kind of drained out like the water in the bottom of a tub. And you're wondering why it's all drained out, because oftentimes it leads us to what the next condition is. Last week was the drain condition. This week, it's the dried out condition. It's the dried out condition. That's kind of similar to the the drain condition. But the dried out condition is where one has reached the place in life where resources and energies have been exhausted. And, and you're running around on empty, spiritually empty, and, and you, you, you think you still have some gas in the tank. In fact, your first go-to reaction is, is denial. 
You know, so you keep doing your tasks, you keep doing your ministry, you keep volunteering, you keep, you know, you know, putting all the effort in. So the frustration that's there, it's kind of in the background and, and, you know, kind of just a nebulous type of thing. And it then goes underground. And then all of a sudden, at some point, it just pops up and you realize that you're absolutely, you're absolutely worn out. You're drained. This is the result of. Of, of someone, you know, not taking into the inner chambers of one's heart, you know, spiritual inspiration and, and teaching. And, and it's the result of not having devotions and not reading the Bible and not praying and, and not even worshiping together as we gather the worship. And one of the reasons we stay, the standard, if you're teaching a Sunday school class and if you're leading and you're a leader in the church, that one of the standards is that you have to attend one of the worship services. Not, not because of control, or it's because we love you, and I love you, and we care about your spiritual health, just as we care about the spiritual health of the church. Isn't that right? And I think we get in this drained out condition, and then we sometimes, you know, we pretend there's still energy there and passion, and, and we develop this macho attitude or this macho mentality. You know, I can do this. I can keep, you know, volunteering, I can keep serving, I can keep, you know, acting like a Christian and we're kind of macho about it. You know, we can, we don't need any help. I don't need to go to that retreat. I don't need to be renewed. And we have this macho attitude. And then we, we just continue to run kind of on empty and we miss it all together when God and the needle is screaming at us, you're almost out of gas. And we just miss it. I missed it. My wife, she dreamt of marrying a macho man. She got a nacho man. <laughs> Okay, I'm hitting the target, right? All right. <laughs> it's embarrassing. But uh, but we do that. I remember a professor in college that um, he talked about the, the bucket of education. And he said, preachers, if you're going to be a preacher, you're going to be a teacher. And for you future teachers out there, what happens is you have this bucket of knowledge. And as you teach and as you preach, you're pouring it out. You're pouring it out. And if you're not reading new books, you're not getting new education, you're not bringing in new knowledge. Pretty soon the bucket of education is going to become empty. And so the professor, I mean, that's so simple, but yet it's so profound. And I've never forgotten it. And I'm saying that because, look, your heart is like that. Your spiritual heart will run dry in restoring your spiritual passion is a calling to fill your heart and soul with inspiration and knowledge and fresh love from your Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's the statement. The unfilled spiritual tank is a recipe for disaster. I, I don't know where you're at. I don't, I don't know what you're going through in life. But man, I, I promise you, the unfilled spiritual tank is a recipe for disaster. When I was back in college and stupid and dumb and running around on an empty tank, and I began to hear in my truck, I had a Mazda V2000, a red truck with white mag wheels, and I was so proud of that thing. And anyways, when I began to hear it cough and sputter, you know, and jerk, I had this sinking feeling. You, you ever had that? The sinking feeling, I'm running out of gas. Right. And so I have that. I remember that experience, what it feels like. I was a little slow in learning. But you see, the reality of this, there there, there were times that my lack of planning and lack of recognizing that I was running on empty affected a lot of people. 
not only my own schedule, but the person who was riding with me, I messed up their schedule. And then my family that I called, my family member <clears throat> that had to bring me a gallon of gas, and I interrupted their life. And then not to mention if I run out in the middle of an intersection, I got this line of traffic behind me. See, when I'm running on empty, I'm impacting a lot of lives. And spiritually speaking, it's the same way. And we see that in the biblical reference of King David. And yes, David was a man after God's own heart, but he certainly was in the wrong place doing the wrong things. When we think of his adultery and his temptation and his murder, the things that he engaged in that were quite literally a sin, enjoying pleasures that he did not you know, deserve, relaxation that was unfair to the rest of the ranks and the rest of the men. And, and, and folks, I cannot tell you how many good Christians, I'm saying good Christian, how many good Christians find themselves making bad decisions or in sin because they're trying to function on a tank that is dried out. You see, David, if that's the scriptural reference, David should have been with his armies. He should have been with others who would have held him accountable spiritually. He should have read the signs and, and received wise counsel. And he should have received, you know, spiritual direction in life. But yet there is this callousness. And you know, when you get callous, you don't hear direction. You don't hear the word of God. You don't really have a good moral compass because you become so callous that you're now completely off track. And that's exactly kind of what happens here with King David. In fact, King David already committed the adultery in 2 Samuel 11. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. That's our text today. We go to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and beginning at verse 6. And David had already, you know, uh, committed, you know, adultery with Uriah's wife. And now in this passage, he's trying to sweep it under the carpet, you know, like we do sometimes. You know, rather than dealing with the issue, again, the callousness that he had there in his life and, and willing to hear and respond. So he's sweeping on the carpet. Second uh, Samuel chapter 11 verse 6. So David sent this word to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him. David asked him how Joab was. How the soldiers were. How the war was going. Sounds like small talk to me. In other words. Hey look at this over here. While something over here is really happening. Then David said to Uriah. Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. Talk about guilt, or a guilt offering, really. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master servants and did not go down to his house. Imagine now what's happening here, what's unfolding. As David's trying to sweep it on the carpet, trying to get this guy distracted, trying to make you know things happen to help cover up the problem, or his sin, really. So David was told, Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you... Just come from a military campaign. Why don't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark in Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. So, man, here's this guy. He's saying, "Okay, look, I'm a man of integrity. I wouldn't dare do this. Or the other soldiers and everybody else in the whole kingdom, and they're being faithful and they're preparing and they're working. All that. I'm knocking. I'm a man of integrity. Man, if this did not be, was if this was not a slap in the face of King David, because here, you know, this guy he's saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this. David, David was in a fix. I mean, here as we peel back the layers, he was left with no passion to fight temptation because of his callousness. Remember. 
So he has no passion to fight temptation, no passion to be hungry for God's wisdom, no passion to be strong and honorable as a man of God. He was so spiritually dried out that David makes a series of bad choices because his spiritual tank was dry. And it affected his spiritual life and affected the lives of many others. And things were so bad that David, again, in his callousness, David would not listen. He would not respond. He would not receive direction. He would not hear the word. And in fact, a year passes by. We read the passage. A year passes by. And finally, Nathaniel, the prophet, comes and gives David a, a, a story. He tells, he tells David or shares you know, with David a parable. In the same method that Jesus used, remember. And, and the reason why, that's interesting, because parables were often used to unlock the locked heart. Parables and stories sometimes penetrate the heart that is locked up, or the spirit that is locked up, unwilling to hear the truth, unwilling to hear what God is trying to say, even though the needle is screaming at us, you're almost out of gas. And so the story's told, the parable's told. And, and, and then all of a sudden something happens, and I love it as you read it, it just kind of unfolds and becomes really exciting because David begins to respond and the truth pierces his heart. And man, I'm trying to imagine what David was feeling when he came to the realization, or really the self realization, of his spiritual condition. When he realized that here's the God that he was intimate with, the God that he had a heart like God, and in here in all the relationships that he had with God and the whole long story of David, King David, and his rise to power and all of that. And then he comes to this, this realization how spiritually destitute, how spiritually empty, and how dried out he really was. And I read the story, guys. Listen, I read it, and I cannot help ask myself where I am at spiritually. And maybe this is the question that God is asking you to think about this morning in regards to your spiritual walk with the Lord. You see, what I want to say is we cannot embrace the vision that God has for us as an individual and even as a church until we recognize and admit the reality of where we are at right now. Until we admit the reality of where we are at spiritually as an individual, till we admit where we're at spiritually as a church, we cannot embrace the vision and move forward and be all the great things that God wants us to be until we hear and understand where we're at personally right now. Let me, let me say this. The, the challenge of this whole scenario, the dried out scenario is is it's easy for people that have talent to live a life and do ministry in the dried out condition. Did you know that? I mean, people that have talent and the crowds are enamored by them and they can sing and they have all these abilities. It's easy for them to just be a part of the system and do the things they do and do ministry and function and even as a church. Because there's a lot of talent here. And to live in a dried out condition... As if nothing is wrong because we have all this talent. There are people that are wordsmiths, people that can write Sunday school lessons and they can preach sermons and they can deliver a great message and they have that ability and nobody even knows that they're absolutely parched because they have this talent. And and so there's these dangers of, of not recognizing that we've lost the passion and the energy and the ethic, so to speak, the work ethic 
in, in life in regards to Christ and ministry. I mean, it, it, it's dangerous. I, I like the way that one man, uh, Gordon McDonald, he writes about this and, and he describes the dried out or the empty condition as action without heart, oratory without power, doctrine without love. Think about that for a moment. I mean, look at that. Just take a moment and think what this is saying. Action without heart. Action without heart, that's dried out. Oratory without power, probably a lack of intimacy with God, lack of prayer. Oratory without power, doctrine without love. Understanding our theology, understanding what God has called us to. And and so the dried out condition, all of a sudden, there's these issues. There are these issues. People in the dried out condition can often be the hardest workers among us. They also can be very negative people because, you see, negativity abounds in the empty heart. It does. And if you find this tendency and this negativity that's arising and everything you look at, everywhere you turn, it's just all you think and it's all you feel. And it's abounding in that empty heart that's dried out. You see, on the inside, the drought condition can result in inconsistent patterns in living and changing goals and no clear focus and convolution can happen in life because it's just, we're just dried out. We're, we're at our limit. As a pastor, personally as a pastor, I, I know that I'm in a dried out condition. I spent time thinking about this and I, I want to share kind of a list with you this morning, you know, just to be transparent with you. Because I understand that sometimes I even get to this place if I'm not taking into the inner, you know, the inner chambers of my heart, inspiration and, and Bible study and teaching and all that. And so I want to share just kind of this list with you. I know that I'm in a dried out condition. This pastor, I'm in a dried out condition when I find myself being irritable when faced with people's concerns, even though I'm a pastor. Because if the Spirit is living in me and I have Jesus in me, then I'm not going to be irritated. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be kind. The fruit of the Spirit is going to dwell within my soul. And I know I'm dried out if I'm, I'm feeling that. I, I'm in a dried out condition if I'm bothered by my family when needs arise rather than being thankful that I can help. I, I know that I'm spiritually dried out when I, I'm impatient. Can anybody relate to that at all? That I'm impatient? I, I know that I'm, I'm dried out and, and drained if I have to suppress feelings of negativity when certain people call. Shame on me. That means I'm not spending time with the Father. I'm not spending time, you know, in fellowship with, with Jesus. And, and the Lord needs to, you know, replenish my tank and feed me and renew me and renew the spiritual passion that I have for others. I know that I'm dried out when I seek knowledge and study more for praise than anything else. I know that I'm spiritually dried out when preaching. I fear more what people are thinking of me than what they think of Jesus and his word. And, and, and the Lord holds me accountable to that. And here's one that I did not put on my list because I put it in my iPad this morning. I know that I'm a dried out in a dried out condition and a drained condition when I start to not be bothered when large amounts of time pass by without sharing Jesus with a pre-believer. I know there's something that's not right and it's not happening when I'm no longer really even caring whether I'm sharing Jesus with somebody that doesn't know Jesus. And so the Lord, Holy Spirit, as I spend time with him, begins to put the passion back in me. And I don't know where you're at, but that's part of being passionate for Christ. I, I know that I'm in a dried out condition when I fight feeling envious of others in my profession rather than rejoicing 
in what God is doing. I, I mentioned this morning, I, I'm a, I just even feel ashamed of sharing the story or unworthy more, maybe the word would be unworthy, of when God moved in my life and he shifted me in a focus from me, a focus on me, and a focus to Jesus, from me to Jesus. I'd been pastoring in Kimberly, Idaho, and I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Anybody ever been there before? I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I was on the treadmill of ministry and doing, you know, all the right things. And the church was doing fine and the church was growing. But there was this underlying discontentment. And I'm sure it was because of energies uh, that I was spending that, man, I was just kind of parched. I was just drained out. I mean, this, this drained out condition had become a reality in life. And, and I kind of had like an early midlife crisis and, and it was an emotional time and I, I didn't know what was going on, but the Lord began to close doors and open other doors. And I got a call from uh, Clarksville, Tennessee, and the Lord called us to a church in Clarksville, Tennessee. And I don't know why we went. I mean, it was a, a little church that could only seat about about as many people as this section over here. And the building was just a small building and the gutters were falling off the building and they had no air conditioning. It was 103 in the, the sanctuary that morning and they only had 28 parking spots. And so we were coming from a thriving, growing church. God was blessing, but I was empty and I was dried out and he brought us to this church that was running about 95 people. And I, I got there, I arrived and about a month after being on, on the, you know, the, the campus there, I was sitting in my office. Now, they had a building beside the church that had been, well, a house that had been the parsonage. And now they had turned it into Sunday school classes. So Sunday school classes met at the, in the top of the house, the main floor of the house. But in that musty old basement, they'd put the pastor's office. And I remember sitting there in that pastor's office and, and uh, I'd come to the end of my words. I spend, was spending time with God and praying. And I had no staff. It was a small church. I was by myself and I'm sitting at my desk and, and I'm praying and I'm talking with God. And then I run out of words and I just sit there in silence. And with hindsight, I realized that even in that transition and that whole process, that midlife crisis, it all was connected to the fact that I was absolutely dried out. I was just parched. And I sat in silence before the Lord. And I, I became a little emotional, not sure why. But then all of a sudden the Lord began to pour his spirit over me and into me. And God began to expand my heart. He began to renew my spirit. And, and, and as I was sitting there and just enjoying the presence of God and, and then a little emotional, he gave me a vision. And I, I began to draw and jot down this vision. I had a building and about 10 or 11 steps and each step represented the next thing that the church was to do. And he gave me this vision and passion came alive in me. And the heart that was dried out and the, the soul that was, was broken all of a sudden received soul care. And something came alive in me. And it was the passion of Jesus Christ. God wants to take your drained out condition. He wants to renew you. He wants to give you passion. He wants to wash your heart clean. He wants to lift you up. I believe that this morning. And as I prepared for this time this morning with you and this service and this church, I, I, I had this burden of the, the Lord coming and pouring his spirit out upon us and us receiving him. That was the image that God gave me, that we would receive him and he would renew our passion this morning. I, I don't know where you're at right now in life. I, I love the report I heard from Pastor Wes and some of the parents that were 
talking about our student ministries and your retreat and how the Lord had visited your service and God was doing a great work there. And passion was being restored. Passion was being restored. God wants to restore our passion, church. Amen. And I I want to invite our our worship team to come. Won't you guys come? And I, I invite you today to just hunger for God right now. In a moment, we're going we're gonna to talk about NYC, but, but I, I want us to just do this right now. Just, I want to invite us as a congregation just to come and ask God to restore our passion, our passion for the lost, the passion for those that are free believers that are not even worshiping with us right now, the passion for just hungering after righteousness in God. God wants to restore that in us. So let's stand together. Let's stand as we hear God's voice, respond to him. And I want to invite us as we begin to worship together. In fact, just come now. Let's just come and use the altar. Let's pray, church. Let's say, God, restore my passion. Father in heaven, renew my heart. I don't know what you're wrestling with. I'm not sure what you're struggling with right now. But I know this. God wants to pour his spirit into you right now. I know that. He wants to renew your passion. God's renewed my passion. I don't know if you can tell, but man, I'm excited to be a part of God's church, his kingdom, what he's doing. He wants to restore your heart and renew your heart. So I want to invite us. Let's do that. Come as the Holy Spirit leads. You just come and kneel at the altar. Let's just surround the altars. And I wouldn't be surprised if the whole church came. Let's just come and say, Lord, restore, restore our passion. Lift us up. May we be ignited in you, Christ. May you be glorified as we seek you and we look at you. And maybe you've not been burdened for anybody else other than yourself for a long time that's a sign of being spiritually drained it's been a long time since you've really shared Jesus with anybody that's a sign of being spiritually drained come church pray that God would open doors for you restore your passion in your heart and let him just ignite that fire in you and he will be glorified in that let's come and pray as they lead us and we sing let's just let the Holy Spirit move move us today as we pray together thank you Father